Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Tanit, daf kaf dalid, page 24. I'm going to start with a bit of the Gemara that's kind of a, a lesson on how to behave, but it's told through a narrative, which I, I think is interesting. First of all, I always think it's interesting when that happens. And this particular story is, I think, you know, has a few details that make the story itself quite interesting. So the charity collectors, these are the people who would collect tzedakah, they would see Elazar, who was from the village of Birta, and they would hide from him. him. They would run away, right? So Elazar ish birta kad havu chazule. When they would see him, havu tashumine, they would hide from him. The kol mai da hava gabai yahiv lahu, because they would give he would give them anything he had, and they felt bad to take all of his money, which I find to be interesting. An interesting comment on him, an interesting comment on the tzedakah collectors. Right, the whole dynamic here is he wants to give them everything, and they say like, "No, it's too much." So rather than just tell him it's too much, they hide from him. They don't let him. Get, they don't let him even see them to give up his money. So then one day he went to the market to get whatever it was to buy, rather whatever he needed for the nedunya for the dowry of his daughter. So this happened where the Gabetzraka, the charity collectors, they saw him and they hid from him. Azal Rahad Batrahu, but he saw them and he ran after them. And he said to them, Amarlahu, he said to them, Ash but Ash Bait sorry, Ash Bait Ash Baatihu, Ash Batihu, Bamayasiktu, Askitu, right? Meaning, what are you so busy in your what mitzvah are you so busy with? They're collecting for the wedding of an orphan, an orphan boy and an orphan girl. So he says to them, meaning this is the temple service, the avoda of the temple. And he's saying it like an oath, meaning that what he's about to say is certainly true. That they should take precedence, these two orphans should take precedence over his own daughter, meaning in terms of his funding. Shakal called the Hava and he gave them, the Tzedakah collectors, all the money he had. Pashle Chadzuza, except he was left with one single coin of a Zuz. So he buys wheat and he goes up to his house and he puts that wheat in the Granary in his house. You can imagine how well this is going to be received at home, right? Atai de Beitu, his wife comes and says, she comes and says to, to her daughter, My Aiti Avuch, what did your father bring home? And she says to him, to her, meaning the daughter says to the mom, Amrala kol ma shaditi. He threw whatever it is that he brought, he threw it into the granary. So the mom goes up to the granary. She opens the door. She sees that the granary has a lot of wheat. It's she's filled with it's filled with wheat. To the degree that the green the wheat is coming out of the 
th- is the greenery is so full that the wheat is coming out of the the room, and the door won't even open. That's how much wheat there is it now in that room. Now, obviously, that's not how much he put in. So this is already this is now we are entering in the realm of miracles. What happened? He put the wheat in, and lo and behold, it filled the room filled itself up with that much more wheat. Couldn't even open the gate, the door, the gate. So the daughter goes to the Beit Midrash and she says to her, the father, um, Come and see what the one who loves you has done. Meaning the one who loves you with capital letters. Meaning this is referring to God. So he says again, this kind of oath that he's swearing by the temple service that that this wheat is hektish, that it is dedicated um, to, you know, that is dedicated already. And you only have your portion in it as one of the poor Jews of Jerusalem, meaning it's, it's again, he's, he's not willing to take benefit from this miracle. It means he's going to, again, give dole it out. He's going to give it more to, to, to tzedakah. And it seems here, and this is the end of the story, meaning we don't have any more about this at this time. We don't know what happens in terms of her actual dowry. Presumably she's supposed to be getting married or they wouldn't be planning for it, right? And And so this whole story is one of, on the one hand, he is so giving, he is so giving to the extent that he is rewarded with miraculous wealth of the grain, right, of the wheat. But on the other hand, he's not willing to use it in any kind of practical sense for his own family. So I think it's a little bit of a difficult story. You know, I'm not sure that he's doing well by his family, even if, it, you know, he's so concerned with doing well by everybody else. Yeah, we encounter these types of stories sometimes where I'm not always clear what side is the Gemara falling out on, right? Like, is this really in praise of him? And especially because of the stories that it comes, you know, following, which is, you know, the, this, uh, this guy who is very, very harsh with his family. Uh, you know, I, it's not clear to me, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? Yeah, I don't know. Meaning I, it doesn't, it doesn't, the, there's no, the loose ends here are not tied up neatly in a bow. Right. The story ends and we still don't know exactly what happened. Not to the daughter, not to the mom. You know, there's no yelling. Nobody like there's no interaction between the mother and the father to say, what have you done? She just says to the daughter, what what did your father bring home? Right. It's not enough. Right. It's not it's not a complete story. Um, I'm going to move on to Amud Bet. And um, we have, you know, the whole Amud is really sort of giving a series of uh sort of examples, like we talked about the practical halakhic piece of when do you fast, how do you fast, what do you do? And then the Gemara gets into now sort of illustrating stories of, you know, so-and-so needed to fast, did rain come or did it not come? And there's a series of a few vignettes that have sort of a miraculous piece to them, not just sort of something coming through straight uh, prayer. Um, and the first one begins as follows. I'm a Rav Mari Bereds of Bat Shmuel. So Rav Mari, the son of Shmuel's daughter, taught. Right. right, I was standing on the bank of the Papa River. And I saw angels who appeared as sailors. And notice there's like a little bit of a play on words here, right? Malache and Malche, right? They could sound very similar. 
right? Bringing sand and filling the ships with it, um, right? And it became, the sand became flour, right? So the idea is it was a time of famine. The sailors, who were really angels, take sand, they put it on the ship, and it magically becomes, miraculously becomes flour. Right? Everyone came to buy this flour. And I said to them, do not purchase this flour because it's the product of miracles. Tomorrow boats will boats will fill with wheat, will come from Parzina, and then you can purchase it. So again, a very strange story, which seems to be here that he witnesses a miracle, but there's something about this coming about as a miracle, which he makes a judgment that it's actually not a good thing, and says, no, don't worry, you're going to get your food in the natural way and not by a miracle. So that's the first story. Uh, then we have another one. Rava Ikale la Hargunia. So Rava happens to come to the city of Hargunia. Gizar Tanita beloved Ata Mitre. Right? He decreed a fast, but the rain still didn't come. Amr So he says to the people in this town, Right? So he says, everyone examine your fast, basically. Right? Like, see, did you really do chuba? Did you do what you really needed to do? The next morning he says to him, he says, whoever had a dream last night, come forward and say, So Rabbi Elazar Haguna said to all of them, He says, actually, so he had a dream. He says, the following was said to me in a dream. Right? Good greetings to a good master from a good Lord. Right? Who in his goodness does good for his people. Amar, so then Rabba said, So he says, I can learn from this dream, right, that it's a good time to pray for Rachamim. And he prayed for Rachamim, and now the rain came. So again, now we have a story where they did what they were supposed to do, right? They fasted. The rain didn't come. He tells everybody, you know what? Maybe the fast wasn't a good fast. You know, tells everybody, wants to figure out who sort of had a dream to let them know what was going on. And then realized maybe they needed to just pray again. They prayed again, and then the rain came. Um, now, another story. So there was a certain man who basically was sentenced to be flogged by Rava's court because he had relationships with a non-Jewish woman. And what happened? Rava flogged him, and he actually died. So when this matter, this basically was heard about, right, in the house uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of the king of Shapur, right, but let's say he wanted to punish Rabba because basically Rabba behaved like a king. He punished somebody and killed them, right? Amrale Ifra Hormiz, right? So Ifra Hormiz, Ima de Shabur, who was the mother of King Shapur, uh, de Shabur Milka, Livare, says to her son, Basically, you shouldn't get involved with things that have to do with the Jews. Because whatever they request from their God, he gives to them. So he says to her, right? King Shapur says back to his mother, right? What is this that he gives them? Right? And so she says they pray for mercy and rain comes. So he says, okay, but he says, maybe this just comes at the time when it's supposed to rain. In other words, 
when do they pray for rain? They pray for rain during the winter season. So maybe it's not their prayers worked. It's just that it rained, right? So he says, if you want to prove to me, basically, that God answers their prayers, have them pray, right, for mercy now when it's Tammuz, right? When the rain is not supposed to come. It's summer. And see if it rains. Right? And so he says, they send a message to Rava. So he says, you know, basically, you should pray for mercy that the rain will come, right? By Rachme below Ate Mitre. And what happens? He prays the rain doesn't come. Amr Lafanab. So then Rabbi says to God, Rabbono Shalam, Elokim Bozneinu Shamanu Avotenu Siprulano Poel Paalta Biamehem Biamei Kedem. So he quotes here a uh, Pasuk from Tehillim, chapter 44, verse 2. Oh God, we've heard with our ears. Our father has told us what work you did in their days, in their days of old, right? But we have not seen it with our eyes. In other words, what he's saying to God is, we were told that you answer these prayers and bring rain. We have not seen it, right? And so what happens? Rain then comes that all the gutters of Machoza are overflowed and pours into the Tigris. Right, and then Rava's father comes to him, but Amarle and says to him, He says, You bothered heaven for this, that you asked so much for it to rain, not in the right time. In other words, you asked for something miraculous to happen. Amarle, Shani Duchta, right? So he says, His father says to him, Change your place, right? The rest of the night, you should change your place. Shani Kute, he changed his place, Lamachar. And he found that in his bed, where he normally sleeps, it was slashed by knives. And so I think what the warning here is, is that people don't really like miracles. And the fact that he was able to do this means somebody from the king's court was going to come after him. And his father basically comes to him in a dream to warn him, you know, doing a miracle is not always the appropriate thing to do. So, you know, and similarly to what you said, there's sort of these stories are a little bit ambiguous, right? The story with the uh, sailor, the malachim who are sailors, it's not clear why it's not good to take something that comes from uh, that comes from a uh, a miracle. Um, you know, this middle story here with Rabbi Elazar of Hargona, I think, is much more straightforward. Um, but again, it's puzzling because it seems to mean that Rabbi sort of had to seek out a miracle. He needed to make sure there was some communication to understand why he was not being answered in his prayer. And then finally, this last section, I, I think sort of acknowledges that even the non-Jewish world recognizes that there is some special relationship between Jews and non-Jew, between Jews and God when it comes to getting rain. But this piece at the end here with his father, I think it sort of is saying that what Rava did was not the right action and actually had consequence that could have cost him his life. I feel like there's a tension about miracles, right? Like on the one hand, only the righteous people are getting miracles to happen for them. And everybody kind of likes that and kind of runs to them. Think back to the Chonia Magal stories and his grandchildren, right? The the idea that here's somebody who could bring rain and that's a huge thing to be able to accomplish, right? But on the other hand, and here also, right? Like the these people clearly had so many points in their favor to be able to have the miracles happen. And yet the Gemara is kind of like, eh, you know, don't, don't, 
we know not to rely on miracles, but also there seems to be this ambivalence even about the fact that they would happen. And what do you do with it once it has happened? And it's an interesting, I think, it's an interesting lesson, I guess, or an object lesson where you say like, well, wouldn't we want miracles? And maybe the answer is not as much as I think we would. I, that I think is true. And I always think about that in terms of like Safer Bar Midbar, right? Like B'nai Israel, all those miracles happen for them and they always seem to sin right afterwards. There's actually something unnerving when we go against the natural world. And I think that's also exactly like you're saying, the tension of this Masechet. What is it that we're doing when we pray, right? So it's, and fasting. So it's clearly not just to say we didn't eat. It's to do some form of tshuva. But is it that then some miracle happens that God listened to our prayers and then water, you know, rain comes? Like what exactly is it that we accomplish? And I think on this hold off, we didn't read all the stories. We're seeing, you know, some examples of like people prayed and then they go and the rain comes and then they go back to be like, okay, why did you deserve for your prayer to be answered this time. But there's still something that's unnatural about it. It's sort of like humans through the act of prayer can somehow, and through the act of fasting and prayer, let me be clear, can somehow, it's, control isn't the right word, word, but sort of like they get God to do something that is not part of the natural order. And, it, you know, there's, and like you said, Anne, there's an ambivalence about it. It's not like everyone's cheering and like, yes, we got it to work. It just, there's something about it that doesn't quite sit well with everyone. And and then rain is a thing which is kind of designed, the weather in general, right, is designed to be the, the thing for which human beings have no control. We can only rely on the natural world or an exception made to the natural world if God intervenes on behalf of the people who have now fasted and prayed. It's complicated. Yeah, so I'm curious to see. We have basically one week left of the Masachat and sort of to see like how this gets wrapped up. Does it get wrapped up? Or maybe this is a tension and an ambivalence that the Masachat really, you know, sort of stays with, right? It's not clear exactly how this works because you're basically undoing a piece of the natural world through fasting, prayer, and teshuvah. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Please be sure to sign up for our Masachat Ta'anit Siyum. We'll be hearing from a meteorologist and some Torah from our listeners. Thank you to Michelle Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.